A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Big Chief with a badge, a cattle prod and a head on a stick. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Not just on Talk Radio, of course, we are now live streaming on YouTube. We are live streaming on Facebook and we are live streaming, of course, as well on Twitter. So get on it. You can not only listen to us, you can actually watch us here as well. Coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about the latest from the Sandringham Summit because, of course, what we learned yesterday was that the Queen is the epitome of class. The Queen is the epitome of the royal family. The Queen should have been in charge of the Brexit negotiations because she walked into that room... Uh, she took hold of her grandson Harry, her grandson William, her son Charles, and she absolutely shook them until she made them make sense. And what she said to them is, OK, if you want to go, you can go. We would rather that you stayed, but clearly you've made a decision and you're going to be off and uh, we're not going to be calling you the Duke of Sussex anymore. We're not going to be calling Meghan Markle the Duchess of Sussex anymore either. And quite frankly, good riddance to both of them. If only they had shown one iota of the respect that she showed them to her, things would have been a lot different. People are waking up this morning and feeling just as badly about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry as they did yesterday because it now looks as though Prince Harry is going to do his rugby union um, little... um, diva thing for the uh, Buckingham Palace Events Committee and then he's going to disappear off to Canada where he's going to go to Vancouver Island and live very nicely in the home of one of uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton's friends, a billionaire from Canada uh, a man who has been, uh, shall we say questionable in some of his dealings over the past few years They're going to disappear. We're probably never going to see them again. And I don't think we're going to miss them at all. The big question is, how much money are they going to walk away with? How much money should we be giving them? And exactly what is it about Meghan Markle that makes her think that she can run some kind of political movement over the course of the next few years? We're going to be talking to Di Davis, the former head of Royal Protection, because the big question is, how much money are we going to have to spend looking after them? And should we even bother? And the second question, of course, is, uh, Dan Wooten's going to join us, and he'll tell us all about the future, how he got the story in the first place and precisely why we should care that Prince Harry and Meghan Markle are now disappearing from the royal family. They haven't done their jobs, they haven't done their duty, they have been disloyal to the Queen, they've been disloyal to the Crown 
quite frankly, if we were living under King Henry VIII, I think we'd be putting them up into the uh, Traitor's Gate area around the Tower of London. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Mark Francois is going to join us. Uh, we're going to get his uh, campaign to get Big Ben chiming on the night of January the 31st. We're going to get that campaign properly going because the House of Commons has said that it can't be done. Well, we say it can be done and we're going to make it happen. And Boris Johnson is on side as well. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and watching me right here on Talk Radio, the world's fastest growing radio station. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. So yesterday it was another fine mess for the royal family, but the Queen has done such a brilliant job of navigating her way through. She's taken all the heat out of the conversation. She's given Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, in my view, much undeserved um, sort of uh, uh, breather from all of the shame and the, and the substance of what was being written about them. And basically, it now would appear that they will be given some time, a transition period, no less, to work out precisely how they want all this to work. I still think they've behaved abominably. I still think they should never be forgiven for it. The idea that somehow they deserve to have their own free time. No, I'm sorry. They do not deserve to have their own free time. It's like me getting up in the middle of this radio show and saying, you know what? I think I need some time to myself. So uh, between now and 11 o'clock, I'm just going to wander off. I'm going to give myself some space for thinking. Um, there'll be dead air for a while, but I'm sure you'll understand because, of course, you know, my mental health is all important and I must protect it and I really must make sure that I'm okay. And I don't really care about you. Uh, you'll just have to listen to something else. Or just listen to silence. Well, that's not how it goes. That's not how it operates. That's not how the royal family operates. And I'm still saddened and disgusted with the behaviour of both Prince Harry and his missus. You know, Miss Tippy Toes, whatever you want to call her, Meghan Markle. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Di Davis and get his view of what it's going to cost to look after these people, even if they decide to move permanently to Canada. Di, very good morning to you. Welcome. Well, good morning. Lovely to be back on your show, as always. Thank you very much indeed. It's always a delight to have you. Now, this is your particular area of expertise because I was reading this morning in The Times that while um, the sort of stay-away royals were over in uh, Vancouver Island staying at a very expensive uh, £12 million mansion um, uh, was gifted to them by some Canadian billionaire friend of the Clintons, they had 10 uh, people as part of their private security detail paid for by us. It was a sort of revolving six that had to always, of course, have, have you know, a spare or two. So 10 people covering them for six weeks is obviously going to cost a lot of money. They're going to need something like that or possibly more people, presumably, if they move there permanently. Well, I can't comment on the exact numbers because I simply don't know. But uh, the numbers you're suggesting uh, does make sense. And you're quite right. It's the British taxpayer through the Home Office, who actually pay for it. And uh, no matter how long or short this transition period is, they will continue to have to have protection because, like it or not, uh, he is a potential target, not only uh, from terrorism, but, as I've often mentioned on your show, from those who are mentally ill or fixated or those of a right-wing nature who don't believe a prince should have married a woman of colour. Mm. So there are all kinds of potential threats. And, of course... Uh, the royalty protection are extremely experienced. Since 1829, they've been looking after the monarch of this country. The Canadians are pretty good for a, a relatively small in, in size numbers. They have a specialist unit who guards their prime minister, the governor general, but they don't have the experience and knowledge that the Metropolitan Police do through all our ills over the years, 50 years that I've been involved. You know, you certainly learn from experience. 
Yes. And one of the key things is, is to learn the lessons of history and translate them into today's actions. And I suspect if I ask most protection officers how many times in the last 250 years, when were they attacked, where were they attacked, how they attacked, they wouldn't know. And neither would most people. I'm an anorak on this, as you may know by now. Yes. And I'm telling you, um, there is a potential problem. Well, exactly uh, right. Well, let me put this uh, scenario to you, Di. Forgive me for interrupting you, but do you remember when Boris Johnson was being driven to Buckingham Palace um, after he was uh, elected Prime Minister? Uh, or I think it was uh, the first time rather than the second time. Um, and he was driving up the mall, and these uh, bozos from Greenpeace suddenly decided to unfurl um, a Greenpeace yeah. banner in front of the uh, Prime Ministerial car. And two motorcycle outriders who clearly knew what they were doing, dealt with it very quickly, very firmly uh, and very well. Now, my belief, if that happened in Canada, would be that that would be a much more dangerous situation because people in Canada have guns. Well, they do. And, and I don't know, to be frank with you, I don't know how many people have guns, but I don't think they have the rigid gun control that we have in this country. So no, they don't. No, funnily, well, here's, here's a bit, bit of information for you. There are more guns in Canada than there are in America. Good Lord. Well, per, per head of population, presumably. Yes, exactly. Uh, well, yeah, well, all of these things. And the other thing that I, I, I've been talking about this morning on various outlets is the cost of static protection. Yes. That's an extremely... When you take over a premises, whether it's uh, Frogmore Cottage or Balmoral or anywhere else, you have to have cameras, all the usual now necessary paraphernalia. Mm. These don't come cheap. Safe rooms don't come cheap. You have to have various electricity and other backup systems, which I won't go into, obviously. But trust me, you are talking a considerable amount just for the technical, the support of the technical. Yeah. And then there's no point having all of this you do, if you don't have an armed capability to respond to it. Right. That's what we have in all our palaces here because the Metropolitan Police have literally hundreds of officers in various shapes and forms, some of them bigger than others. Uh, I tried to get them all fit uh, my time, but that was a failed Yeah, call. But also, but, I, yeah, presume, I presume, Di, there would be some form of nerve centre at Metropolitan Police HQ at Scotland Yard, whereas if you've got people living as far away as Vancouver, you can't have a nerve centre in London. You'd have to set up a nerve centre, presumably, uh, somewhere not unadjacent to Vancouver Island. Well, you're quite right, and again, I won't go into too much detail, but again, in fairness to the Met and to the Canadian Mounted Police, they, they have tried and tested systems, which they undoubtedly would put into. How good they are, I don't know. I haven't walked the shop floor, which mm. is something I like to do when I was doing the job. Every palace and every castle and thing, I'd like to walk there, so the event of a scenario, at least I had some working knowledge. Yes. You know, uh, I don't know how big this mansion... And the other thing that they're going to lose, unless they have full-time protection, is the due diligence. And now, I, that's not always perfect, as mm. we found out with Uncle Andrew. Yeah. I mean, who didn't do the due diligence on, on, on his friend? But the other thing is, you also have access to the security services. You have access to our embassy, our commissions. These are all vital. Now, if they're going half-time, part-time, and they're going to do commercial... 
Well, I wonder how good and effective that will be. Mm. So it is a dog's dinner, frankly. Well, it really is. And we look look back at what happened to Princess Diana, and partly it was due to her own uh, sense of independence that she wanted to be away from the Royal Protection Offices, because I think she was under the impression that as long as there was somebody there from the Royal Protection Squad, that met any information about what she was up to would get somehow get back to Charles and would somehow get back to Buckingham Palace. So she sort of volunteered herself out of that coverage, but as a result... She ended up being looked after by the private security team of Dodie Fayed, uh, which was clearly very, very substandard. Well, I'm not going to comment about those issues because, uh, you know, some of those uh, gentlemen did come from the Army uh, Protection Squad, and with great respect, they're as good as anybody. So I won't comment. Yes, well, they, didn't, they, they, they weren't good enough to well, stop a guy... Saying, they weren't yeah. good enough to stop a guy who'd been drinking and, no, taking, and right. taking prescription drugs from driving her at high speed through a tunnel in Paris. You're quite right, and I, I, I bow to that uh, comment. But what I'm trying to say, and to defend my former colleagues in the military, uh, most of them are very good. Yes. Um, but no, on that occasion, you're quite right. She relied on, on private security, uh, ex, ex uh, army people, and again, as you say, they didn't do their job properly. Right. And if they had been royalty protection, no way, in my opinion, would that have happened. Right. But you emphasize the point yes, by going alone, if indeed they are by saying they don't want to be a burden on the public purse. Well, with great respect, the biggest burden on the public purse is uh, royalty protection. Yeah. It, it is huge, and it doesn't take a brain surgeon to work out, um, you know, how much these officers do cost, are, are there, and all, all the rest of it. And, mm. you know, it, it is a, it's a big, big... And if we're going to have a royal family and we want to protect them... And I always say, if we can't protect the royal family, what hope for the rest of us? Well, quite. And what about the significance of Canada itself? Because obviously it's a Commonwealth country. There are some who think that, uh, that by going to Canada rather than to the USA, um, that, that Prince Harry and Meghan hoped that they might be able to carve out some kind of ceremonial Commonwealth-related role. But is there any kind of link-up between Commonwealth countries and, and things like royal protection? Uh, well, only in the shape that uh, it varies tremendously throughout the Commonwealth from, from good in Australia and New Zealand mm. and Canada to the, to the level of some uh, of the African and other countries where obviously they simply don't have the resources, capability or experience. So it does vary hugely. But what is the steadying foundation is at, at the moment, wherever they go, they take these very experienced officers with them they liaise with the British uh, security services, the embassies and, and, and all the rest of it, and they have the full backup of the British government and most times the, the host country. And again, Canada, Australia, New Zealand are part of our kin, as it were, and, and relationships, as far as I'm aware, are very good. So in one sense, it's positive in that sense. It doesn't negate the fact that it's going to cost you and I and a lot of people in Canada, a lot of money if they're going to do it properly. Well, according to figures I saw today in the Times, at the moment, Royal Security costs the taxpayer around about £106 million per year. But it's gone up significantly uh, since the unveiling of uh, Harry and Meghan because they've spent so much time going abroad and having to take protection officers with them. Apparently, the cost of flights for protection officers rose from £3.47 million in 2016-17 to £4.62 million in the last year. Hotel stays increased from £1.12 million to more than £2 million. Uh, in the last year alone. So, you know, that's before they go to Canada. So that could double, couldn't it? Well, yeah, I don't know those figures, but they don't. They sound reasonably realistic to me because on long flights, uh, 
officers normally fly business class because yeah. they're expected to to hit the ground running, mm. and so on and so forth. And yes, uh, when they're on re- re- reconnaissance, they stay in reasonable hotels, as you'd expect, because yeah. they have a job to do. Uh, um, and also, it's not just them. It, it's wherever, Before they go anywhere, there's a whole range of other people that normally go with them as well, you know, who are part of the backup team. Right. Again, I'm, I'm not privy to how many of those there are, but before they go anywhere normally, a recce team goes out, a reconnaissance team, and spends the time looking at the venues, looking and liaising with the local police and dignitaries and where they're going and working out a, and working out a risk assessment. And that's difficult if, if you're sort of part-time or you certainly don't have police officers of whatever do, denom, denomination actually doing the job for you. Well, also as well, you'd have to assume, as we've been told, that uh, if they leave the country and no longer take part in any royal events and do any royal um, sort of appearances, effectively, that that min- minimises the amount of, of uh, appearances the royal family can do. If they similarly take a load of royal protection officers who have been trained for that job away with them to Canada for the best part of the rest of the year, then presumably we're going to have a shortfall of royal protection officers to protect the royal family in Britain. Well, again, the numbers, are, again, I don't know what they are now. In my day, there was four to 500, I, I seem to recall, yeah. uh, of various sizes and sizes. And again, they're split into a, a variety of roles, as you'd expect. And some areas have expanded, like the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre, which analyses those who, who pose a potential threat, i.e. those we know. So, uh, again, but, you know, when the royals go anywhere, a, a team goes with them. Yeah. And, again, I never go into the actual numbers. It, again, depends on the venue. In Norfolk, for instance, Norfolk police look after them uh, in conjunction with the Met. And yeah. in Balmoral, it's the same. Uh, we go up there, or rather my ex-colleagues go up there in number, and they're supported by the Scottish police. So, normally, it works quite well. But, you know, there's no such thing as 100% security. No. And, and the big thing is to to realise that, he, he, like his mum, the fact that he's now decided, or she, they have, they don't want to, to be fully members of the royal family or senior ones, as they call themselves, they are still going to be followed. People are interested in them amazingly, um, from my perspective. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Last week, we were on the brink of Third World War, and all we can talk about <laughs> is them. I find the world is nuts. For that well, I mean, there's no doubt about that. What would be the scenario if we just basically turned around and said, you know what, you want to go out on your own, hire your own security, deal with it. We're doing nothing else. Could we do that? Well, I, that's uh, for the Home Secretary, uh, in conjunction, I suspect, with the Prime Minister, there is an independent group that actually assesses risk and all the rest of it, I'm told these days. Yeah. It wasn't there in my day. Uh, and obviously, people will take a view on this. Um, the fact is, he is a member, a brother to the future king, etc., etc., a son of the future king, and whether he or she likes it. Um, and again, if they're going to travel in America, well, that adds even more. And if they're going to live in L.A., I've worked in L.A., that's how could be one of the most dangerous places in in the United States, yeah. you know, they're really going to need it there because they're all kind of manner of strange people there, that's for sure. <laughs> I think you've put it very well indeed. Di Davis, former head of Royal Protection, thank you very much indeed. I don't see why we should pay a single penny, not a red cent, as they say in America, uh, for these bozos. If they go and live in Canada, let them pay for it. They've got enough money. They want to be financially independent, don't they? They want to be independent people. Well, let them pay independently for their security in that case, because right now we're paying about 600 grand a year to look after them. And they're not even grateful. 
This is Talk Radio. A mid-morning dance with the devil. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. On Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are live streaming on YouTube, live streaming on Facebook and Twitter, of course, as well. Uh, many of you wanting to have your say. Lots of you calling in on 0344 499 We will get to all of you uh, as best we can, as soon as we can. William says this on the uh, YouTube feed. Megan, the future Hillary Clinton, perhaps uh, she may make the White House and be president. Her rich friends will help her. Well, I think a lot of people have been encouraged to run for political office since they saw Donald Trump's success because they figure, well, you may be you don't have to be part of some big political machine. Maybe you don't have to join a political party. All you have to do is have some wealthy backers, particularly if you want to get success in America, uh, and come up with some kind of woke agenda that everybody will vote for and make sure that you are on the right side of the moral argument. So, of course, you'd have to be a Democrat, wouldn't you? Because only the Democrats have got that kind of moral superior tone about them. But the idea of Meghan Markle, a jumped-up actress from a Suits TV show, which is all anybody knows her from, uh, thinking that she can somehow run the most powerful country in the world. It's rather self-absorbed, isn't it? 0344 499 We're talking this morning about the amount of money that it's going to cost us to let them leave this country and be somehow secure in another country and be somehow looked after by the Royal Protection Squad in another country uh, and whether we should even bother paying for it. I'm not sure we should. 0344 499 Let me remind you, by the way, that I've got out there on YouTube, uh, for those of you who may want to watch it after this show finishes at one o'clock, uh, we have a great interview with Brendan O'Neill on the off-air TV show. And later on today, uh, in the company of Dawn Neeson and Maya Tuzzi, uh, we will be filming the second Planks of the Week show. And uh, last week it was Ed Davey who ended up as number one plank. I've got a feeling there might be somebody for the royal family on it this week. Let's go now, though, to Carolyn Harris, chair of the Gambling-Related Harm All-Party Parliamentary group and Labour MP for Swansea East because, very good news for those people who think that gambling is out of control in this country, the government is going to ban gambling with a credit card. Carolyn, a very good morning to you. And you. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, this is uh, something to be celebrated, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking. I mean, I'm not normally somebody in favour of a nanny state, but I think when it comes to gambling, you have to be careful what you're allowing people to do, don't you? Yeah, yeah. It's not a nanny state. This is common sense. We, you know, I meet people every day or hear from people every day whose lives have been devastated or in some cases they've taken their own lives and I've met their families because of this addiction to gambling. Mm. It's a public health issue. What's happened today is a step in the right direction. Too late, but it's a step in the right, right direction. So what will change and when will it change? Um, I believe it starts in April, right. and uh, it'll mean that any online transaction for gambling will not be able to make, be made with a credit card, which is common sense. I mean, you wouldn't go in a bank, borrow a couple of thousand pounds because you were going to the bookies. So why are we you know, encouraging people to, to use credit to gamble online? Well, I suppose you would, wouldn't you? I mean, one of the things about the last election campaign was that everybody was promising to borrow more money than the, the, the other mm. guy to make sure that we could have a good future. Mm, well... Least said about that, the better. <laughs> but you know what I mean. I mean, there is. I mean, there is yeah, a th yeah, yeah. there is a thought process for people who yeah, gamble. Yeah. I think, and that is that you know, I, I know a lot of people who who have been big gamblers in the past, and they have this very strange thought process whereby, say for example, they didn't make it to put the bet on. They consider that that's lost money because they if they put the bet on, they would have won. It's a kind of a weird yeah. mentality, isn't it? 
Well, it, yeah, I mean, and the same is true if somebody is playing bingo and they have a problem with it. We've all done it. We've all said, I only wanted one m- number, I nearly won. Yes. Um, I, I was only one number out on the raffle, I nearly won. No, yeah. you did nearly win. You were miles and miles and miles <laughs> away from it. But th- that is the psychological effects right. of problem gambling. And, and we're all guilty of it to a certain extent. I certainly have thought I'd nearly won when I wanted one number in bingo but in reality I didn't but when you have a problem with gambling then you try again so that you don't lose out a second time and that's when the problem kicks in and it is a huge issue for a lot of people and it's definitely a mental health issue and we have to start treating it as such and putting the money in to research and into treatment. Yes, I think it's a bit like the obesity uh, sort of problem we have now in this country. There's so much food yeah. available now that it's quite difficult for some people to stop eating. In the same way, there's so much uh, ease with which you can gamble, you know, without moving out of your chair, without moving out of the house, without getting out of the car. You know, people are on their yeah. phones. I mean, it, I think it, it's almost too easy, isn't it? It is too easy, and this is why I would like to see a new gambling act. It's something I've been pushing for for a couple of years. We actually, uh, I mean, when the 2005 gambling act came in, which was a product of the Labour government, which I'm not at all proud of and continually apologise for, we didn't know at that point what the future was holding. We didn't know what technology was going to be like. We didn't know which way it was going to be manipulated to suit the needs of the gambling industry. Now we know. They've had a good run for a few years when they were left alone. When we started tackling them on the fixed odds betting terminals, they had a bit of a shock. I don't think they thought we would have had any kind of decent result, but we did. And I've got the beat between my teeth again now. I really am cross that they continually... Um, they just, they like pariahs. They take and take and take, and they take from the most vulnerable. And I really am thinking, time's got to change. We need a new gambling act, and this organise, this company, these these companies who make vast amounts of money on the back of ordinary people like you and I, they have got to be held to account for the damage they cause. Mm. And what about uh, who it applies to? Because we've got many um, sort of high street betting companies that everybody knows the names of. We've got on- yeah. online betting, betting companies. We've also now got these offshore betting companies. Are you able to make this apply to them? Well, I mean, I, I've looked at the detail of that. I doubt if we are, so we will, we will need to pursue this further. But any, or any gambling company which is licensed to operate legally in the UK will need a licence from the Gambling Commission, and this will be in their rules. So right. all legally operating gambling companies... Um, but there, no doubt there will be some who will say we'll have a problem then with yeah. the illegal sites. This is where we need to clamp down on the entire structure of the gambling industry. We need to be in a position where we can only have legal, legalised gambling. It has to be controlled and there has to be accountability. So what would your perfect scenario be if you were able to kind of, if you were able to set up a new framework for the gambling industry? Okay, what would my it be new, like? My, uh, well, it would be that the stakes on land and online were the same. So if you only can put £2 in a fixed odds betting terminal, on land, then you should only be able to put £2 online so that, you know, you haven't got the capacity there to lose vast sums of money. No credit card, no gambling in overdraft, and it's easy to do because every transaction will have a code on so that the banks know what kind of transaction that is. That could be stopped. Um, I would want to see really stringent affordability checks. So if somebody is gambling... Obviously, more than they're earning, which very many people do. The question needs to be asked, where are you getting the rest of the money from? Yeah. You know, people are actually committing crime and ending up in prison for something which is very often their fault in that they stole the money, but no notice is taken of the fact that they have a condition, which is problem gambling or disordered uh, gambling disorder, call it what you want, but that is a mental health issue. Nobody takes account of that.
For sure. And putting them in prison doesn't do anything because they don't get any treatment in there. Well, they can probably gamble while they're in there as well, to be honest, because they've well, all got cell phones and they can just keep, keep link up back to their uh, their online account. Would you allow people well, to still have online accounts? Well, I can't stop them having online accounts, but we need we need the online companies to be far more responsible in who they allow to mm. gamble. And if someone is showing the sign, if somebody, for example, is, is gambling vast sums of money at 2 o'clock in the morning, that should be a flag that... Hey, up, there's something wrong you. Why is somebody at this time in the morning spending this kind of money? Yeah. If someone is continually chasing their losses, you know, it always fascinates me. The gambling industry is always able to give us stats on the good things they've done, but they're very reluctant to give us the stats on the bad things they do, like their VIP schemes. Totally exploitative. They earn vast sums of money from it, and yet the people predominantly in that group are problem gamblers. Yeah. No, it's, 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 it's a very good thing, I think, that's happened today. And so maybe it will, uh, as you say, lead to, to other things happening, Carolyn, as well. Before I let you go, let me just ask you about Keir Starmer, because I understand you're yeah. uh, one of his supporters, you're part of his uh, campaign to get elected as next uh, Labour leader. Mm -hmm. How's it all going? Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's going fine. You know, it's, uh, uh, the battle is just starting. We've got a lot of work to do. But, you know, if you're asking me what, what I think about Keir Starmer... He is the person who was going to unite my party, but he's also the person that I can see standing outside number 10 Downing Street as, as the next Prime Minister of this country, hopefully. I mean, the man is, is head and shoulders above anybody else who's put their name forward. But what about all those people who say the next leader should be a woman? I don't think now's the time for gen uh, gender and geography. I'm a woman myself. I'm a deputy leader of my own, my own party in Wales. We, we, we had an absolutely appalling result at the last election. We have to be honest and say, let's go for the best person for the job. If that was a woman, I'd be behind it 100%. But at this moment in time, Keir Starmer is the best person for the job. OK, thank you very much indeed. Carolyn Harris, Chair of the Gambling Related Harm, all-party parliamentary group, Labour MP for Swansea, supporter of Keir Starmer. Uh, she thinks he's the best uh, option for the next Prime Minister of this country. But that won't be for a while yet. Uh, we talked about this the other day. Don't forget, of course, uh, there's lots more for you to do here uh, on this show. We're here until one o'clock, of course, 0344 499 1000. We'll take more of your calls coming up next on what we should be doing uh, about this ridiculous subsidisation of the members of the royal family who don't actually want to do anything and who don't actually wish to do the work that we are charging them to do. Paula says this, how can they come back as part-time royals and attend any charity function given their unpopularity? She said that on the YouTube feed, which is up and running right now. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your Cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Now, let's say a very good afternoon to Mark Francois. The first time I think we've spoken to him uh, this year. Mark, a very good afternoon to you. 
Good afternoon and a slightly belated Happy New Year, Mike. Yes, absolutely right. Now, what's all this about? 500,000 quid to bong Big Ben. I mean, if that's actually the price of what it is every time they do it, uh, we might as well blow it up, might not we? I think the risk is that the House of Commons officials, who clearly don't want to do this, have loaded on every possible cost they can think of <laughs> right. in order to come up with that thing. Now, look, because of the refurbishment, there are two occasions, there are two exceptions when Big Ben does chime right. in. One is New Year's Eve, literally a few days ago, and the other, quite rightly, is Remembrance Sunday. Yes. So I've tabled some urgent questions in Parliament to ask what was the cost on those two occasions? Mm. So that we have a comparator. Right. Yeah? And I'll be very interested to see the answer. The problem would appear to be they put a, a special floor in for New Year's Eve. Right. And then they took it out again. <laughs> and as the Prime Minister said on Breakfast TV this morning, there was also an issue with the clangor. He said they've taken the clangor away. Have they? So that's what the Prime Minister said. Mm. So apparently. And the clangor, what? Being like the hammer that hits the bell. Correct. So right. apparently they've got to replace that. Okay. Now, I can't believe that costs half a million pounds. I mean, lightheartedly, Mike, I offered to go up there with Bill Cash with a giant mallet and whack it myself <laughs> and save the taxpayer <laughs> half a million quid. Well, listen, I mean, there's no, there's, there's no such thing as a bad idea when it comes to, uh, you know, this kind of thing. What about um, why they are taking such a long time to actually repair whatever it is that's wrong or, or upholster it in, well, a, in well, a new way? The, the, well, the, 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 the refurbishment of the Elizabeth Tower has not been a stunning success. No. So, 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 you know, the officials that are coming up with these figures are the same people who've basically overseen a very poorly managed project. Right. But, look, the Prime Minister said on BBC Breakfast TV this morning, I saw the clip, that he wants to set up a crowdfunding scheme... Mm. So that, as I think he put it, people can give a bob for Big Ben to bomb. Yes. Right? So, brilliant. So, those that want to can, and those that don't want to don't have to. And um, uh, Michael Ashcroft, the, the billionaire... I was going to mention him, because I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet from him saying that he would underwrite any crowdfunding scenario. He, uh, he did. I mean, I think he'd still like other people to put something in. Yes. But he's basically offered to underwrite, I suppose, you know, any shortfall. Now, uh, at the risk of mentioning your competitors, Nick Ferrari... Mm. Well, it's not really a risk, is it? You've just done it. Well, well, well Nick, off, Nick pledged a 1,000 quid this morning live on air. Did he? I've matched it. Okay. My money where my mouth is. By the way, so I don't call out with my colleagues. Yes. I'm not inviting all my colleagues to do the same. But okay. I'm the guy who's led this, so I'm going to put my money where my mouth is. Okay. And I, if... if Nick gives the £1,000, so will I. Okay. Now, this, Mike, this is a fantastic opportunity for the BBC because there have been arguments for years about whether or not BBC commentators are massively pro-Remain. Yeah. So here we go. So, you know, Emily Maitlis, I'm sure, is gagging to put some money in. Almost certainly. The chairman of the BBC is a rich bloke. He must be worth a few grand. Yeah, absolutely. The programme, I'm told, are considering having a bake sale. What about Meghan and Harry? They could give you a few, Bob, couldn't they? Well, maybe. I'm told Jim Nocte on today's programme doesn't mean shortbread. <laughs> James O'Brien on LBC apparently is going to have a sponsored silence. Yes. and He'll be buying some new earplugs, won't he? 
Yeah, and Steve Ray's going to auction his hat. So what's not to like? By the way, I think they were probably winding me up about. Yeah, Ray. you should get Matthew Wright to give you some money as well while you're at it. Well, I mean, you know what's you know what's not to like. So all those BBC commentators who, for years, have been accused of absolute bias. You know, Andrew Marlett, they can all chip in. Yeah, absolutely. They prove us all wrong, can't they? What a brilliant idea. I would pledge money to you publicly, but I prefer to do these things in private, so we should discuss it off the air. Well, Mike, you see, I haven't challenged you. No, you see, I don't I don't try and grandstand on these matters. Um, you know, That's quite frankly, if I had as much money as Nick Ferrari, I'd be giving you about 100 grand. Well, I'll leave that one between you and him. But yes. look, the serious point... Yes. OK, I'm being slightly tongue-in-cheek here. But the serious point is that if the Prime Minister and he, he said he's going to do it, sets up this crowdfunding scheme, then people who want to contribute can. People who want to celebrate this. It is, whether you voted leave or remain, this is undoubtedly a historic occasion. There's no arguing about that. So those that want to celebrate maybe can chip in something. Those who don't can stay at home and watch Netflix. It's yeah. What about that, uh, that bozo who shouts stop Brexit? Have you asked him for any money? Well, I said I did mention Steve Bram, and apparently he, you know, he's offering to auction his hat, which I think is a fantastic <laughs> yes, you uh, did. offer by Steve. Yeah, absolutely so, you know, right. Well, well, you know, well done, Steve. Uh, but is, is that? Do you anticipate? Because rather, rather like the interesting and unusual ways that Parliament found to try and stop Brexit, do you not suspect that these kind of uh, jobsworths are going to find different ways of trying to frustrate your attempts to do this? Uh, exactly. Well, I think that's exactly what's gone on. I'm told that when the, I haven't. I haven't got a transcript of what happened at the House of Commons Commission, but I'm told that a number of the politicians were in favour, mm. that the officials of the Commons were adamantly against. Now, why did they take the floor out after New Year's Eve? Yeah. Why did they take the clapper off? Why didn't they just leave them there for a month? Right. You know, someone took that decision to take the clapper off and to remove the floor. Right. Why? Why? Because they didn't want to do it. Yeah, that's obvious to me. But I tell you what, has anybody actually asked them when they're going to be finished with all of the work they're doing as well? Well, it's slightly worrying because the Elizabeth Tower is the like the, the it's the it's the starter, if you like, mm. for the main course of the refurbishment of the whole palace. Yeah, which we as MPs have been told is going to take at least six years and cost several billion pounds. Well, if they couldn't control the costs on the first bit which is comparatively minor, yeah. how on earth can we trust these people to control the costs on the rest of it? And at the end of the day, that is taxpayers' yeah. money. And so, also, to so, be honest, I'm getting very fed up. And I mean, we haven't been down there this year yet, but I'm getting very fed up every time I come out of Westminster Station, seeing all the tourists looking bewildered because they can't see Big Ben. And me, who I've almost forgotten what it looks like. Well, the project has run massively over time. Yeah. And it's also over budget. Mm. Well, these are the same people who took the floor out and took the clanger off, right. basically. Yeah. So, you know, in terms of having confidence in their ability to know what they're doing, well, there we are. But look, coming back to the central point, right, you talked about 11pm or midnight. Yeah. The reason it's 11pm uh, Greenwich Mean Time is because that's what was laid down in Article 50. Right. We agreed that with the European Union. Okay. Now, I take your point about midnight, but having come this far after all these years, I don't want to argue over 15 minutes. <laughs> no, no, that's a very good point. However... I mean, there, is, there is a related point about pubs. Right. A number of pubs, as I understand it, have applied locally 
for extensions to midnight. Yeah. Yes. So that, you know, they can call time on the EU. Well, we've had plenty of Brexit extensions. I can't see why the pubs can't get a couple. Well, you know, in some ways, it will be a bit like a World Cup match. Those that want to celebrate can go to the pub. Yes. You know, and, and what jobs were from the local council was going to walk in with a clipboard at 10 past 11 and say, I'm terribly sorry, it's last <laughs> orders. I insist that you close this pub, even though we're leaving the European Union. Oh, but God. It's very firmly in subparagraph 17B, Roman numeral one. Yeah. Those are the like, I mean, come on. This is a, this is a historic event. You know, some people will want to celebrate it. Some people won't. It's a matter of choice. But for those that do want to celebrate it, I think they should be encouraged, allowed to do so. And also, you, because we've been, we've been divided about this as a nation for years, I mean, there's no denying that, right? You could argue that this is kind of a moment of closure. Yeah, well, it should be a moment of closure, but sadly, for some people, it won't be. Well, I know, but you could argue that those that want to celebrate can celebrate. Those that don't want to shouldn't stop them. And then, as it were, the nation can come together and can come together and move yeah. on. Do you see the point I'm making? No, I do, absolutely. But Will Hutton, I'm afraid, will not be one of those. He wrote a piece in The Observer this weekend in which he said this and then tweeted it. Prepare to light a candle at 11pm on January the 31st as we leave the EU. By yourself or with friends, one day we will be back. Remainers aren't going to vanish on the 31st of January. We fight on, sure of our cause. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, OK, he, he, can, he can light his candle. That's his choice. He may have just conveniently forgotten the result of the referendum. Yes. And also... The and the election. election. The overwhelming result of the, of the general election. I mean, the, the, he and a lot of others were campaigning endlessly for a so-called people's vote. Yeah. But we had it. It's called a general election. And the people voted emphatically to leave. So, Mr Hutton, you're a private individual. You can like whatever you like. I'm probably going to be raising a glass of something and celebrating the fact that we're going to be living in a free country. Yes. I'm assuming you might be down in the Westminster Party arena, won't you? Well, I haven't entirely tied down my plans for the evening, but yeah. one way or another I'm going to be celebrating. Thanks to the Prime Minister, I'm now going to be celebrating hearing Big Ben chime. Well done, Prime Minister. I think you've judged the mood of the nation well. Yeah. And um, um, probably I'm going to stay up for that one night and I'm going to watch the sun rise over a free country. Yes. Well, that would be fantastic. Let's hope it's not a cloudy day because otherwise uh, you won't be seeing very much. But, but as far as the, uh, the decision-making process is concerned, we haven't got a lot of time left. So how are you going to be able to make this happen? Well, there is apparently a lead time of, of the preparations that you need to make. Right. I suppose, in simple terms, you've got to put the floor back in. Yes. You've got to reattach the clangor. Yeah. But, you know, I can't believe that takes ages in order to do. And it's a great example of where there's a will, there's a way. Sure. But we're only a couple of weeks away, really, aren't we? So, I mean, you know how, how you know, when people are building houses or repairing houses, they take rather a long time. Look, I, I'm not an engineer, Mike, but how long does it take to, re to attach a clapper to a bell? I've no idea. Um, you know, uh, I mean, I don't think it takes ages and ages and it's where there's a will there's a way that the the officials in the house of commons clearly don't want to do this even yeah. though very many mps do want to do this they've come up you know i was a minister right i was a minister in the mod if you're a civil servant and you don't want the minister to do something the first thing you do is you write a submission that says we can't afford it yeah right 
I mean, I used to deal with this crap day in and day out, right? So, um, and then the next thing you do is you write a submission that says, well, even if we can afford it, it's technically extremely difficult. Right. That's obviously what's gone on here, right? Well, it's like Uh, Yes Minister, isn't it? One of the greatest documentaries about politics this country's ever seen. Well, it's a sort of mixture of Yes Minister (laughs) and the thick of it. Yes. So, So the public aren't stupid. They can tell that these people don't want it to happen. They basically set us a challenge, which is half a million pounds. It is entirely voluntary. You know, I've already had loads of people text me this morning saying, good for you, I'm prepared to yeah. I'm prepared to chip in. And at the end of the day, Michael Ashcroft has offered to make up the difference. Right. So well done, the Prime Minister, for agreeing we're going to crowdfund it. Yes. Good Is there a GoFundMe page or anything set up yet? Well, I understand. I mean, we're waiting to hear exactly what the details are going to be. But, I mean, you know, charities do this every day of the week. It's not beyond the wit of man. It's not technically difficult to do. Mm. So now that the PM said we're going to do it, we just, you know, some civil servant will have been dispatched to go and work out the logistics. But I'm hopeful that pretty quickly, you know, we'll have a we'll have a fund that people can donate to. And I'm very hopeful that, you know, all those nice people on the Today programme are going to massively <laughs> cough, cough up. What about the clangor? Does anyone know where it actually is? Uh, well, I think it would be slightly embarrassing if they lost it, wouldn't it? It would. But I bet you they'd say, I bet you'd try that one on you. Oh, well, no, we can't find the clagger. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I mean, look, you know, I'm, I'm young enough to remember the clangers was a, was a series of people who lived on the moon. That's and, right. And recycled stuff. I mean, they were, they were environmentally friendly before their time. Yes. Um, you know, we, we could get Mother Clanger or whatever it is to come and help. Look, this is not beyond the wit of man, right? We're leaving. There are a lot of people who want to celebrate this. Because we leave at a precise time of 11pm, don't blame me, Mike, blame the European Union. That's what we agreed. That's the law. Those that want to celebrate, just as on New Year's Eve, will look to a clock to get the timing right, just in the way that people do on New Year's Eve. It seems inconceivable to me and many of my fellow MPs in the House of Commons that while we have the most iconic clock in the world, it's a world heritage site, it's going to stay silent on what is arguably one of the most historic days since the end of the Second World War. The civil servants have laid down the gauntlet to the British people. It's half a million quid. If Nick Ferrar is put in a grand, I'll put in a grand. We've got £498,000. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I'm sure you'll make it. And if you don't, Lord Ashcroft will step into the breach, I'm sure. Mark Francois, thank you very much indeed. He wants the bell to ring at midnight, uh, as well as I do. But first, it's got to ring at 11 o'clock. I say we ring it for the whole hour. Just really drive them all mad. Uh, I've got a note here on the YouTube feed from Mac who says, who cares uh, whether the bell gets rung or not? Well, I think a lot of people actually do. And the fact that now somebody's trying to stop it from happening makes me even more convinced uh, that I should join the campaign to make it happen. 0344 499 1000. We'll take your calls next right here on Talk Radio. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here live on Talk Radio. We're also live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter, of course. Got lots of you uh, who want to get on the phone. We will get you on the phone very shortly. Uh, many of you sending me messages, of course, on the YouTube feed as well as on Twitter. Uh, for all those people who were arguing with me over the last two or three days about Scottish independence and whether or not the Scots could self-determine that they should get a second referendum and that they should become an independent nation, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you. Boris Johnson has rejected Nicola Sturgeon call for Holyrood to be given the power to hold a fresh vote on independence. He's written a letter saying to the First Minister I cannot agree to any request for a transfer of power that would lead to further independence referendums. Uh, he says this, uh, the Scottish people voted decisively to keep our United Kingdom together, a result which both the Scottish and UK governments committed to respect. Let's make 2020 a year of growth and opportunity for the whole of the UK. <laughs> so I'm sorry about that guys, uh, I'm afraid. I was right once again and you were all wrong. People were arguing with me. I said, look, you cannot have independence in Scotland unless we in Britain give you permission, which is perfectly straightforward, perfectly sound and perfectly true. And so it has proven once again. So all of you numpties up there in Scotland who thought that you were going to get your freedom back, I'm afraid it ain't happening. 0344 499 1000. Let's talk to Mark uh, in uh, Hitchin who wants to talk about Flyby. Hi, Mark. Hello. Good morning, Mike. Morning, sir. What can I do for you? Oh, fly bit. I can't believe it. I, I, I'm a businessman. Yeah. And I, I just can't believe that the taxpayer is possibly going to have to bail out this consortium. They, they knew last year it was failing. Mm. You know, you, you've got Virgin Atlantic. Uh, uh, Flyby is going to be rebranded as Virgin Connect this year. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah, so, so is it... Is that part of their business plan? You know, when, when they sort of bought this failing company, were they thinking to themselves, you know, we know it's failing, but if we get the taxpayer to pay us $100 million yeah. or, or whatever, you know, then we can actually make the company work. I mean, as it should all businessmen, you know, like me, should I look around for failing companies? Yeah. And then think, oh, I know, I'll buy that. Like, they bought that for $2.2 million. You know, should I think, oh, if I buy that failing company, then the taxpayer can pay me loads can bail of money. Me out, yeah. I, I, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised, Mark, if the, there are people who do that, who just yeah. identify companies on the grounds that they could get some kind of handout from the state. I think, I hope they don't do it. I think it's a nonsense idea. It's, it's just ridiculous. I can't believe it. And I'm reading, you know, on Twitter this morning, like socialists, saying, oh, you know, it's all the government's fault, first mother care, right. now we've got Flybe. It's, it's not the government's fault at all. It's, it's businesses, I think, pulling a flank up. Yeah. Well, I've got doing. a tweet here from somebody calling himself Rumpelstiltskin who says, how on earth could Flybe be going into administration? They charge ridiculous amounts of money to travel from somewhere like Teesside to Aberdeen, along with other short routes in the UK. You could go abroad for less money. So their, their model is obviously wrong, isn't it? Well, it, absolutely. The absolutely. thing is, I mean, people are paying this money. There must be a market for it, for, yeah. perhaps for these little aircraft, short hops. Um, but if they're, they're, why is it failing? You know, are they not charging enough money? Do they need to be charging more money? Yeah, or have they got too many routes? I mean, interesting what David Buick said that whenever he goes on a flyby plane, there's never a full plane. It's never got, uh, you know, it's never got a full sort of tank of passengers. 
Well, exactly. It's the same as buses. Everyone always goes about buses. Right. Every time I see a bus in Hitchin, there's one person on it. <laughs> well, you should come to London, right? You can see them climbing behind each other, they're lining up behind each other on London Bridge. And quite often there's five in a row with nobody on. I know. It's, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. You know, a, a business model, they, they must have known that this was failing. How can we make it work, get profit? I know we'll get money out of the taxpayer. Yeah. Which shocking. Is, Absolutely is, shocking. Mark, great call. Thank you very much indeed. He's absolutely right, you know. Why on earth should the taxpayer, burdened enough by all sorts of taxes that the government puts on legitimately, uh, why on earth should we be subsidising businessmen getting rich? If you look at what happened with Thomas Cook, there was an awful lot of money being siphoned out of that company. Legitimately, I say I'm not suggesting they were doing anything illegal, but they were paying themselves massive amounts of bonuses, massive millions of pounds were going into the pockets of the chief executive and his board while the company was going down the gurgler. Let's talk to Taya, who's in Birmingham. Hello, Taya. Hello, hello, Hi. how are uh, you? I'm good, sir. What can I do for you? Well, like, like your previous uh, couple of callers, I, I too run my own business. Yeah. And, and in terms of the tax, it's just general basic accountancy. Right. The tax, the, the tax is a tax. I mean, we pay VAT, we pay whatever. Mm. And all businesses, they know that when, when they have to pay this back, they have a certain time period to put it. And, and most... Um, well-run businesses will put that money aside so they can pay it. Yeah. They well, can you imagine do. the conversation that you would have with HMRC if you said to them, uh, coming out of this last uh, financial year, I don't know whether you pay by the 31st, but I do, uh, you say, look, I'm terribly sorry, uh, I haven't got any money this year, so would you mind just deferring my tax payment? Can you imagine what they would say? Well, for, for, for the average person that, that, that does a tax return on by the 31st, they pay on time. Yeah. And if they don't, they get fined. Yes. But this is not even a fine. This is a, oh, it's okay, let's, let us give you some more money. Yeah. And so so, so for, for, tax, for ordinary working taxpayers, that's a slap in the face, in my opinion. Well, of course it is, because not only are they not paying the tax, we're going to give them more money, and we're also going to defer the tax payment to three years hence, by which time they might be out of business. Well, I, the thing is, as, as your, your previous two callers that I heard said, um, the, the business model isn't working. So it doesn't matter how much money you throw at it, if the model isn't right mm. and it's hemorrhaging money, it will still hemorrhage money unless there is a strategy and a plan in place to correct it. Yes. You're absolutely uh, right. Taya, thank you very much indeed for your call. I'm going to move on just because we've got a lot of people who want to talk today, but appreciate all of your calls and please do continue to make them. Peter is in Folkestone and wants to talk about gambling. Hi, Peter. Uh, hi, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. What can I do for you? Well, you had an interview earlier with a woman from Labour yeah. um, talking about gambling and, and the great result that was achieved today. Yes. Uh, well, I, I think that she must have been crossing her fingers while she was talking to you. <laughs> that has got to be the easiest thing. You know, you've had 14 years to figure something out and you've come up with... You can't use credit cards for gambling. Right. Well, that just sounds like intellectual laziness to me for two reasons. The first reason is she said, we didn't know the scope of technology at the time. Wrong. In 2000, the Labour government was actively promoting new technology in the UK yeah. and trying to offer people investments to do more, to develop it and make it further. So she's saying one half of the government doesn't know what the other half of the government is doing. I think she was being misleading. Then she turns around and says, this is the only thing we could do that's concrete and really has an effect. Mm. Okay, just off the top of my head, why don't we stop people betting in points? 
so that you don't recognise the money that's being involved in each and every bet. Why don't you make free spins and free bets on other things completely undoable, i.e. stop them now, tomorrow? So stop promotions, basically. Doesn't take anything to do that, Mike. Yeah. It's a phone call. Yeah. So it doesn't take 14 years of thought. And then, furthermore, then they can look at the marketing strategies of these companies because some of the marketing strategies, they're, not, they're nothing to do with gambling. If you look at the adverts today, Mike, it's all about that, that what they've tried to do. Somebody told me this once in a pub. I, didn't, I, I think it's fair to, re, to replay it. It's purely hearsay. But the, the idea is to pick up the computer gaming community. Mm. You talked about doing it at home, sat in your chair, la, la, la. And it's, the idea is that all these young kids that are at home sat in their chairs gaming, you play with your mates, your little computer community, you play poker together, you play bingo together or whatever, whatever, and they're gradually trying to hoover up all these kids yeah. to be the new gamblers of the future via the medium of not doing it for money, doing it for fun and points. Yes, but they also end up sometimes doing it for money as well. It's a very good point, actually, Peter. I'm very glad you made it. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.